we want to thank you so much uh, for this time. Uh, we thank you, Lord God, uh, uh, that we can celebrate you through the arts, uh, through the reading of your word, through the memorization of your scripture, Lord God, and also through prayer and various means, Lord God. We just want to give you praise. So, Father, we consider it an honor, an honor and a privilege, Lord God, to uh, now sit back and hear your word, uh, to hear those things that you have in store just for us, specifically for us today, Lord. Lord God, help us to open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to the reality of your word, that we may live in it accordingly, to have the character and the wherewithal and the boldness to be disciples of Jesus Christ and not be ashamed of it. Again, Lord Jesus, we say a thank you for the redemption we find in you. And Lord God, may your words encourage us and lift us up today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, please? Matthew chapter 3. Here in this passage, this message takes place following John the Baptist, remember who came crying out, saying, uh, it is a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the Baptist had been uh, baptizing multitudes. So our passage comes on the heels of this. Now this is also, as we see, a prophetic utterance by John, in which he mentions, in the midst of him baptizing scores of people, that there is one coming after him who has greater power and greater authority than he. In fact, he went on to mention that this one, whose name he didn't refer to, that he would baptize folks with fire, unlike the water that he uses, right? How do you baptize someone with fire versus water? He says that the one who comes after him, that he would separate the wheat from the chaff and burn the chaff with an unquenchable fire. So John was fully aware of his stewardship and responsibilities before the Lord. He understood full well also the limitations. So he had this ministry that he went forth with boldness and that he was not ashamed of. But yet, he also knew that he had limitations and was not willing to cross over into the wrong lane. He knew someone more powerful than he, more godlier than him, would arrive on the scene to usher in uh, the ministry that only that he, John the Baptist, could only make proclamations about. He could only make announcements about the one who would come after him. And this is where we find ourselves today. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Let's read verses 13 through 15. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. The baptism of Jesus was an act of obedience. It was an act of obedience. Therefore, Jesus, he decided that he would be baptized. So he, he made this trip from a Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And we call him John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. And again in Matthew 3, verses 5 and 6, we read that all of Jerusalem, look at that passage, it says all of Jerusalem uh, understood uh, that they needed to go and to be baptized by John. Imagine that if you would. Bless you. That all of Jerusalem would go to be baptized. How could one man baptize hundreds of thousands of people? Well, if you know about studying Scripture, one thing that you also understand, uh, that when he says that, it says that he baptized all of Jerusalem, that it is a figure of speech. And what it simply means is that he baptized a lot of people. Right? What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, for instance, let's say that you decided one summer that you would go into attend a summer fest downtown. And you go there and there are throngs, millions of people downtown. And you would go there and you would probably say to yourself, Everybody in Chicago is here at this summer fest. Right? The idea is not everybody in Chicago is not at that summer fest, uh, but uh, there are lots and lots of people there to celebrate. And this is what the passage is saying there in Matthew 3, verses 5 and 6. All of Jerusalem, that means there are a lot of people who were convicted of the message that John the Baptist had. And they went and sought him out to be baptized. But one of the plaguing questions that I'm not sure that is in your mind, uh, that was always in my mind concerning this passage, and that is, uh, why did Jesus seek out John the Baptist to be baptized? Why Jesus? Because we say that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1 and 1. Right? Uh, from the very beginning that Jesus existed not in the flesh, but as the Son and part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity in which we worship one God and one God only. So if this is true, and in our minds what baptism represents, why would Jesus go to be baptized by a man? Why would the sinless, error-free Son of God, be baptized by a sinful man. Doesn't make sense. Why would your Jesus do something like that? Here, Matthew 3, verse 14. John sees Jesus 
shows up something on the inside that tells him and, and bears witness that there's something special about this Jesus person, and he realizes that he must baptize Jesus. I mean, what do you do when God shows up and asks you to minister to him? How do you minister to God? How is it possible that a person can minister to someone who is sin-free? In fact, if you look at some of the other Gospels, like in the Gospel of Mark, Luke and John, and you look at this, you will notice that only Matthew records John the Baptist's hesitancy about baptizing Jesus. This, according to Matthew, was a perplexing and intimidating thing for John to even consider, to even come up in his mind. So we must go back and consider what John the Baptist thought of the one that he was supposed to baptize. Again, Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Let's read this, please. It says here, I baptize you, and by you, uh, John the Baptist is speaking to the people that are thronging him, coming to him to be baptized with water. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, he is mightier than I. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, uh, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Uh, so John the Baptist is saying, I'm here now, I'm here temporarily, but there's one that's coming after me that you got to look out for. Because when he shows up, when he looks at all the mishmash of people, that he will be able to discern who's good and who's not good. This is what he's talking about, how he will be able to, uh, to separate the wheat from the chaff. The, the chaff is the part of the wheat that you don't want. It is the part of the wheat that you can't eat, that you can't consume. So he says that the one that's coming after him, John the Baptist is saying, that he will take the one that God doesn't want and they will burn into unquenchable fire where those who are weak will be gathered into the barn. What is the barn? This is with God in heaven. So he's saying that you listen to me, but you need to keep your eyes open for the one that's coming after me. So John, he admitted that he was not able, not worthy to carry the shoes of Jesus. Do you hear what he's saying, right? Listen carefully. Number one, to mention anything about shoes during this time was something that was not honorable. This is why, if you recall in times past, a president of our nation may end up in some other foreign country. And you will notice that, if you remember, I can't think of which president it was, but you will recall that what would happen is someone from the audience would take their shoe off, and for this one president, they threw it at the president. 
For us, it's like, well, why would you throw a shoe at someone? Why would you do something stupid like that? stupid. Why would you do that? But for them, if you wanted to insult them, you would throw your shoe because your shoe would be like one of the nastiest things that you can possibly do. So by throwing that shoe, specifically the shoe, it was an insult. So John the Baptist says, I am not even worthy of carrying the shoes of the one that's coming after me. He was saying of the lowliest, most lowliest thing that they can be to be accomplished or to be a servant as, he says, I'm not even worthy to do that to the one that I'm preparing the way for. John the Baptist, he understood. This is one of those moments that if John the Baptist said this, then we ask ourselves, how do we compare? How do we stack up against God? And somehow in the midst of a self-centered life, we begin to think that we are the focus of our existence. We think that the entire world or the universe revolves around us. And I know this is especially true when you're younger, right? When you're younger and you're stronger and you think you're prettier and you're faster and you're this and you're that than everybody else. You're the biggest and the baddest and, 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 and the most brownest loaf of bread that there is on planet Earth. And in the midst of that, uh, you think that everyone must kowtow to you. But here John the Baptist is saying that I am not worthy of carrying the shoes of the one that's coming after me. <laughs> so while we are thankful for the gifts the Lord has graciously granted us, we sometimes leave him out of the picture to figure out how we can promote and improve on our gifts. Amen? Let's take a look at social media. You're seeing people all over the place uh, taking pictures of their mugs, right? Now look at me here. Look at me there. As a matter of fact, you may even be interested in the food that I'm eating right now. Look at my food. Right? Uh, for some people, it's all about them. And other people, they are they're just journaling their life. But other folks, you know that it is they're trying, to, they're trying to craft a story around themselves. Oh, look at what my kid has done. Look at what my kid has done here. It becomes this picture where it's about them. But John the Baptist says, it's not even about me that when this one comes, that I'm not going to be worthy. Are you worthy before God? Especially during this season that we're celebrating. Are you worthy? So oftentimes we uh, begin to look at ourselves and our giftings and, and we leave Jesus out. And then we know that there's something wrong, yet we continue our journey as if uh, God doesn't matter that much. Uh, let, let me rephrase that, right? Uh, we continue to use our Jesus card when it's appropriate. Uh, on a recent uh, election down in the south of the United States that some of you are maybe for, for familiar with, 
that we've heard much of the banter here and there about this person and that person. But there is a one comment that one lady made. There's one comment that one lady made about this one candidate. And this is what she said. It wasn't, a, it wasn't even about the stuff that we heard in the news. She said this, I'm not voting for that person because this person claims to be a Christian and I have watched this person all of my life. And they always say one thing and do another. And that's why I'm not voting for that person. See there, uh, but when it came down to wanting this office, then all of a sudden uh, you become a super saint. You become a, a super Christian. You, you pull up your Jesus card because now you are hyper spiritual. Now you are somehow hyper gracious to everyone, hoping to earn a few extra brownie points. So John the Baptist, he understood. And he knew he needed to stay in his own lane because after all, how can you upstage Jesus anyway? John the Baptist would say, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 30, John the Baptist would say this. He, speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. Say that one more time. John the Baptist said this of Jesus. He says, he must increase, but I must Decrease. I don't think you got it yet. Uh, some of you do, uh, but let's say that together. John 3 and 30, uh, that he, Jesus, he must do what? Increase, uh, but I must decrease. In other words, when, when Jesus comes on the scene, that I'm out of the picture, I'm gone. So some of us may think of this and consider, how could he be gone? And you know that uh, even though John the Baptist had a very powerful ministry, one thing you also understood, that later down the line, that, uh, that Herod had John the Baptist's head cut off. And we say, oh, what a terrible thing. And, and of course it was a ter terrible thing. Of course it was a very sinful thing. But at the end of the day, you couldn't have John the Baptist and Jesus at the same time. It could only be uh, one person getting all the attention. And in this situation, uh, God allowed that to happen to John the Baptist. Because uh, God could have stopped the executioner at any time, couldn't he? Consider uh, the 12 disciples that, that walk with Jesus uh, most of his life. Anything could have happened to any one of them at any particular time, but it didn't. So God chose to use John the Baptist for a period of time. He had garnered lots of attention, but when Jesus shows up on the, on the scene, God was saying, I want you to understand, let there be no miscommunication. Let there be no misunderstanding that there can only be one king. That only Jesus could be the only one that garners the attention. So ultimately... John the Baptist would be dismissed off the scene. The spiritual leaders of that day, they tried again and again to denounce Jesus. And when they couldn't, 
they ended up killing him. Donald Blesch, the famed theologian, says, if we don't understand Jesus in his gospel, then, and I quote, it will continue to be an obstacle for us until self is crucified and a new self is created by the Holy Spirit. So if we don't understand uh, the ministry of Jesus and how we need to get self out the way, then we have to crucify ourselves. If you don't understand, crucify yourself. No, you're not going to die for the sins of others, but all that you aspire to, that you will give to Jesus Christ, to be used by Jesus Christ as long as Jesus Christ wants to use you. And as Paul says, I consider it all loss, all loss for Jesus Christ. So it's interesting. Had John the Baptist not understood, uh, he would have been an obstacle for Jesus and be like others who are trying to prevent Jesus from fulfilling his mission. So there are a few things we may need to do in our spiritual lives that are beyond our understanding. There's some things that Scripture asks us to do that are beyond, that goes beyond that which we can imagine or even think. Remember, God says in His Word, in the, in the prophets, He says that uh, our ways are not His ways. Neither are our thoughts His thoughts. Why? Because His ways are higher than ours. Right? And so we must understand that. Amen? John the Baptist understood this. He knew that he had to get out of the way. So Jesus' baptism, it is associated with righteousness. Uh, Jesus tells John uh, that uh, he needed to be baptized for now because that they needed to fulfill righteousness. Look at the passage, verse 15, uh, here in, in Matthew 3. Look at verse 15 there. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to do what? To fulfill all righteousness. Notice he says, it is fitting for whom? Us. He didn't say for me. He said for us. Where well, who is the us in the passage? Who is the us? Is it God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Had John the Baptist baptized everyone except Jesus, then there may have been some confusion as to whether or not everyone needed to be baptized. So, uh, John was given his stewardship by God as a prophet to baptize everyone. And if God had given him this stewardship, this ministry, to baptize everyone, and then here comes this man walking up claiming to be God in the flesh that says, well, I don't need to be baptized. And then that means that he would not have submitted himself to the ministry that God the Father had given John the Baptist. Therefore, he would be walking outside of obedience. Get that. Why baptism anyway? Why baptism? Because there is no code in the Old Testament about being baptized. Uh, you can look as far as you want. The only thing that you find closest to baptism in the Old Testament is the fact that the priest would, would take the blood of the sacrificed animal and he would sprinkle it in the altar, over the altar. Or he would sprinkle it over the people. That was close 
to that thing there. But why baptism? There was no cold. And not only that, if it, was, if it had been a cold, then the Pharisees would have been the one advocating for it in the first place. Because they knew the law inside and out. They knew it. They understood it. Baptism was an outward sign identifying one's need to confess sin, which God was not pleased with. It was therefore closely connected with the admission of one's guilt and a desire to publicly turn away from that lifestyle. So it's not just a decision one made within their hearts, but a decision which the rest of the world would witness you turning away from that sinfulness. Uh, pretty much the, uh, the same idea that we get with our baptism today. Jesus tells us to be baptized. Why are we baptized if it doesn't save us? Why are we baptized? Number one, it is the commandment of God. And number two, it, it is a public outward display of a work that God has accomplished through Christ already in our hearts. But more so than anything else, as Jesus was obedient and he was baptized by John, we are obedient and are baptized in the name of the, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the name, in the singular name of. So if all those who were being baptized understood the need for it, right? Why being baptized? You know, why wouldn't the Messiah, the one who would come to redeem Israel, be baptized? Remember that Israel, that they were awaiting a Messiah. Some today are even awaiting that Messiah to show up, who would deliver them from the political and societal degradation inflicted on them for thousands and thousands of years. John chapter 7, verse 26. John 7, 26. And here he is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? That we know that the Christ, that this is Messiah? Jesus had an authority which the leaders of the day were trying to figure out how to deal with him, with the possibility of him being the Messiah, that is. John chapter 7, verse 31. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ, there it is, the Christ. Uh, do, do, you, do you see that? It just doesn't say Christ. Uh, the passage says when the Christ, not when a Christ or one of many Christ, it says the Christ, the Christ as being only one. So they were expecting only one Messiah. They said when the Christ appears. Will he do more signs than this man has done? The signs which accomplished the miracles of Jesus would point to the fact that there was something special and unique about him, of course, because he was the Messiah. John chapter 7, verse 42. Had not the scripture said that, here it is again, that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and come from Bethlehem, the village where David was. Was uh, Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem? Try it again. Was Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem? Yes, he was. 
He was born in the city of David. They said, well, no, you were born in Galilee. You were born in Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. No, well, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, bread Bethlehem. John chapter 12, verse 34. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So if you are the Son of Man and you're going to be lifted up, you're going to be taken off of this planet, how can this be if it is the Christ who remains forever, the Messiah who remains forever? Well, we can answer that. We know that the Christ remains forever, amen? Because Jesus Christ is from eternity past, eternity present, and eternity future. Therefore, he will never die. His body, they killed his body. But not his spirit and not who he is because God raised him from the dead. You cannot kill God. Therefore, as their Messiah... Jesus needed to be baptized so that the people's expectation uh, would also be satisfied. But neither would Jesus fall short concerning other aspects of righteousness. In, in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's not stopping anything. He's fulfilling all of these things. So after Jesus said this, that they must fulfill all righteousness, John the Baptist agreed and baptized Jesus. So you see, John the Baptist was a part of this picture of, of him and Jesus fulfilling all righteousness. John did the baptizing. Jesus was baptized. So therefore, it required the us, those two, uh, in order to have all righteousness fulfilled. Amen? They must fulfill it because there were some things that God had put in place, again, that the average person did not understand. So Jesus' obedience, it pleased the Father. It pleased the Father. Matthew 3, verses 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. After Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of God descending on, on him in the form of a, of a dove, and rested on him. So first, the baptism of Jesus affirmed his identity before the people. People needed to uh, witness this act of his will. Some people believed, in fact, still today, that at the time of Jesus' baptism, that he was adopted by God. We call this adoptionism. They believe that Jesus, this man, this human being, that he walked the earth just like you and I. And that at that point in time in which he allowed himself to be baptized, that when the Holy Spirit came upon him, that's when Jesus became God. Because it says that he, this is now my son afterwards. 
But that is a fallacy. That is not true. That Jesus did not become the Son of God at His baptism. Can you say amen? Because if He existed from eternity past, remember we read in the Scripture all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 when God was creating the heavens and the earth, and then when He said, let us create man in our image, we knew that Jesus was present then, that the Messiah as the Son of God was present at that time within the Godhead. So how at his baptism can he now only become God, you see? Again, God was showing the world what was already known and what was already true in heaven and in the spiritual realm. It was already true. So what we witnessed through scripture and what John and the others witnessed while they were present at Jesus' baptism was simply was the revealing of the person of Christ. That's it. As an example, when Jesus prayed in John 11, he prayed out loud. Why? Look at John uh, chapter 11, verses 41 and 42. Uh, the Gospel of John chapter 11, verses 41 and 42. Just walk with me. And the passage says, so they took away the stone. Right, this is, uh, this is the scene where Lazarus had been buried. Remember they say, uh, his uh, disciples said, now, don't, don't worry about it because now he stinketh, right? He was in the grave. He stinks now. He was dead, as dead as can be. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Let me. Read that one more time. Specifically, I'll read ver uh, both verses, uh, 41 again. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Okay? Okay, you, you, if you didn't get it, let me just connect it for you. The baptism of Jesus, therefore, was not a man being in, endued with divinity, but it was a revelation. It was a revelation to all those around them who Jesus already was that he was the Christ. So to see the Holy Spirit coming down, uh, the Son of God was already one within the Trinity. He was already a part of the Trinity. So therefore, uh, the Spirit didn't come down here fresh and anew for the very first time. Uh, that at that time, it was a revelation for everybody else. It's like seeing something that you've never seen before in your life. Has that ever happened to you? That you can be driving down the street. As a matter of fact, it happened to me several times this week. Driving down the street like a million times. The same street over and over again. And then one day you see something that you've never seen before. And the first thing you say, they must have just put that up there. No, but it's always been there. It's just that for some reason, whatever has been on your mind, whatever has been on your heart, you were not able to see it. 
But this last time that you came down, now you are able to see uh, that, that structure or that thing that's there. It's the same thing with Jesus. He was already walking around with his godness. But the people could not see that their eyes were not open to who he was. But at his baptism, that God, he opened their eyes so that they could see who Jesus is. So first, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And now God speaks from heaven about Jesus. It's like God saying, if the Holy Spirit is not enough, then I have something that you cannot ignore. There is something you cannot miss, and that is my voice. So God affirms the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, he says. As God's Son, Jesus takes a unique place in all of history. Because no one else could claim that role. It was a special role with a special title. It absolutely identifies Jesus as God in the flesh. So the voice which spoke from heaven is one in which we have seen time and time again speak to people like Abraham, speak to people like Moses, Elisha, Isaiah, Paul, and others. When God speaks, he speaks with authority and finality because no one can come along and undo what he has done. There may be attempts to undo the events in terms of rhetoric and opinion, but not with the power or the ability to turn the course of human history. People may pass laws they may prevent others from progressing forward. But once the Lord has decided something within his own counsel, no one can overturn his decisions. It is from this place that God speaks with the authority of a king. The voice of an army and the power of a powerful thunderstorm bound up in each syllable he speaks. In each breath that God takes. There is a calm before the storm in which we expect something life-changing, mountain-moving, and time-halting about to take place. Yet there is nothing uh, that you and I can do about it because you can't stop a lightning strike that has already begun its course to the ground. So when God speaks, you can't harness uh, the power and the authority of God's voice Therefore, when he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, that is the voice of God. No, not the voice of a God, but the voice of God himself. The son of God, Jesus Christ, also has that same powerful voice, right? Characteristic of God and God alone. Uh, look at his power. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 25. John 5, 25. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Jesus has the same power within his voice. Only the voice of God has the inherent power to raise the dead and make alive that which was thought to have been passed away. So Jesus Christ, 
that he is God, full of power, in whom God is, the Father is well pleased. He is pleased with his obedience, even in the smallest of matters. Think about it for a second. Why not God saying, you know, Jesus, son, I am well pleased at you when you raise somebody from, when you raise Lazarus from the dead, then my voice will come and say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, isn't that a powerful thing when the dead comes alive? Or isn't that a powerful thing uh, when he speaks to someone and they are instantly healed? Isn't it a powerful thing when Jesus opens the eyes of the blind? But it is not at that time that God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. It is a time in which he's baptized. Small things. Tiny things. God says that if we are faithful in, in little he will give us responsibility over those things which are greater. Our problem oftentimes is we don't want to do the little things. Some of us, sometimes we think that we are too good to do the little things. But what exactly has God called you to do in the smallest of matters? And it is in that place that Jesus Christ had that voice of affirmation that those surrounding the situation that they heard that this was the Son of God. How is it that Jesus, a 20-star general, would submit himself to a buck private, John the Baptist? This is exactly how the Son of God pleased God the Father. Jesus, as the Son of God, placed himself in the hands of the human race. So again, not just his obedience in big things, but his obedience in small things. So when we consider Jesus Christ, consider his obedience. Consider how he was well pleased to God the Father. Not in doing great things as we consider great things, but in the smaller things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again today. We thank you for your love and your tender kindness and the comfort of your word. We thank you that during this season we can celebrate Jesus Christ and his birth and his redemption uh, just for us, Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you're doing in our midst today, Lord. So, Father, as we uh, look unto the hills from which come our help, knowing that our help comes from the Lord, Lord God, we ask you that you would strengthen us for the journey this week, Lord. Because the temptations are great. The temptation is very great for us to forget about Christ because of shopping, and because of other things. Anchor us down, Lord God. Lord God, let us enjoy one another's company. Let the gift to someone else just be our presence, Lord. Lord God, so we pray that the Spirit of Christ 
may course intensely through our veins this week, Lord. And how we again, with our voices, say absolutely Jesus. That Jesus is the one for us. And we recognize his obedience. And we understand. And we walk likewise. Father, thank you for your word. Is there anyone in this place today that you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ that you want to say yes to Jesus? Is there someone in here today? Because all of us were born sinners. That's just how it is. All of us were born sinners. Is there someone in this place that you want to give your life to Christ? Lift your hand in the air. We will pray with you. Is there one in this place today? Is there one? Is there one person in this place today? You want to give your life to Christ. Is there one? So, Father, again, we thank you so much for your love and kindness. We thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your comfort as well. So have your way in our midst, Lord God, and strengthen us this week, Lord God, even as we ramp up or ramp down to Christmas, however we view our life. We ask you that you would help us to sanctify our time before you with our families. And we worship Jesus. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you stand to your feet, please? I'd like to see Jalen and Keelan after service.